It is your Thursday, Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to join all you guys on a totally normal um, projected 50-degree day in December in Minnesota. Happens all the time, right? Uh, no, it doesn't, but you know what? We'll, uh, we'll we'll get out there and enjoy it while we can because that, uh, that sounds pretty nice today. I might even go for a run. Everybody should get outside. If you are, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you have a chance to take this portable, take this outside, that's kind of the whole point of all this, right? Be able to bring this wherever you want to instead of having to sit down and listen to it at a specific time. Get outside, take it outside, take it for a walk, take it for a run, something like that. Because these days, um, even though they seem like they'll they'll uh, they'll be uh, you know a nice December forever, uh, January, February, they'll get here. It's going to be cold at some point, even if we've taken a a slice out of what is usually the cold part of the year already. Um, cold uh, cold part of the year coming up. Warm show, hot show, good one coming up here. Lots to get to today. Um, I'm going to break down a bunch of Viking stuff from Wednesday. I was out there for uh, media access. We did record a new Access Vikings podcast, so check that out. Vikings announcing. Maybe not a surprise given what we'd been hearing maybe over the last few days, but announcing, head coach Kevin O'Connell announcing that Josh Dobbs will indeed keep the job as a, as starting head, as starting a quarterback and we'll play against the Raiders on Sunday. I want to get into some of what Kevin O'Connell said about that decision on Wednesday. So that will uh, that'll be coming up here in a little bit. Got a whole bunch of listener questions, some really good ones. Good job, you guys. Proud of you guys for um, digging deep, finding some, some interesting stuff to kind of get me into a few subject areas that I don't always get to. So we'll do that towards the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? Well, I think we got to talk three basketball games from uh, Wednesday night, starting with Gophers men's basketball. I set this up on, um, I think, on Wednesday's show, and I wrote about it Wednesday, too, thinking this was one of the more important games of Ben Johnson's tenure as Gophers coach. You just looked at it, and you're like, okay, you know, they've, they've the only the only decent teams they've played really this season they've lost to right they lost to Missouri um, you know they lost to San Francisco they've they've just kind of like you know any team that you thought they should you know that they could be a little bit of a test that could be hey this is more than just you know a a team in the you know team in the lower third of college basketball um, anytime they've had a test so far this year they've lost in the previous two years you know what they've not been good at all they finished last in the Big Ten. And so they're just trying to find any kind of thread of positive momentum. They already lost their first Big Ten game. They were okay in that game in stretches. Lost by like 9 or 10 at Ohio State. Ohio State's not a great team, but they're okay. So you're like, okay, they've they got a home game against Nebraska. You know, Nebraska is a decent opponent. I think they came in with a net rating in the 70s. Gophers' net rating was like 150. So you're like, okay, Gophers are not the same caliber team as Nebraska. But... They. This is the kind of game I thought going in that this is the kind of game they have to be able to compete in and win if they are going to make a sort of meaningful step this season, right? Like we don't expect this to necessarily be like an NCAA tournament team, or you know, skip two or three steps on the uh, on the kind of evolution on the on the chain of improvement. But you can't lose at home to teams like Nebraska if you are going to have a season of meaningful progress. So that's why I thought it was an important game for the Gophers. Now they get down big 
early. They're down like 15. Dawson Garcia, their leading scorer, hurts his ankle. He goes out. He only plays seven minutes in this game, doesn't have a single point. Looks like a disaster waiting to happen. And then, surprise, surprise, they turn the tables completely on Nebraska, um, outscore them. I believe I read in Marcus Fuller's game story 52-26 to um, to finish the game, turn it into an 11-point win, Bunch of contributions all up and down the lineup. A lot of their younger players looked good in this game. You start to see a little bit of what they're trying to build in this game. And again, this is not like this is not a storm the court, um, you know, upset of a top five team. This is not that. This though felt important. And you know, validating my thought going into the game. Here was Gophers coach Ben Johnson after the game, more or less agreeing with the sentiment of how big this game was. This game was so big for so many reasons. It was the biggest game in, in like two, two and a half years here. And I say that because, um, you know, the, the, the building blocks and the momentum that hopefully this can carry um, through the rest of this month is so important to this team. Because, um, again, we have a lot of good things. The one thing we don't have is to be able to lean back on winning. So now every game moving forward, right, we can lean back on this right here. Not only a win, but when you win with your leading score going down and only playing seven minutes in a league game against a team that's pretty good. So now that's why this was the most important win we've had um, because it shows that there's proof in the pudding now. And, and now these guys can have confidence in themselves, every single guy that played, that they're good enough, they're tough enough, what we do works. And now when adversity hits, they have something to fall back on that gives them confidence. Now, out of context, it's a bit of an eye-opener to think that a win in early December over a okay to not that great Big Ten team, and certainly not a storied Big Ten basketball program on your home court. To say that that is, you know, your biggest game in more than you know in your entire tenure in your two and a half years here. To you know, on its face, out of context, that feels a little bit you know hyperbolic, or feels a little bit almost you know not sad, but it, it feels a little bit. Um, short of short of what it might mean otherwise but i get what he's saying there i get what he's getting at because i was kind of getting at the same thing like you got to have this game if you're going to win more games like this you got to start winning games like this and they did that against nebraska on wednesday i don't know where that's going to take them the rest of the year but like he said this is a game they can lean back on at other points of the season and say okay look this is what we did there we were able to overcome some adversity we have enough players against a decent team to get that done they can have that belief now from this game now how far that takes them that's up to them that's up to other external factors that's up to their opponent to a certain degree too but this one did feel important and the getting the win felt very important to me and to ben johnson as well timberwolves keep stacking up wins as well not their most important game of 82 playing the spurs who are on like a 15 game losing streak now now this is the thing though this is the difference between the wolves this year and the wolves last year wolves in previous years when they started to show some promise at any stretches i wasn't watching this game but i, tu- I tuned in i turned in at halftime to check out what's going on i see they're down seven i see it was like 53 46 spurs were ahead at halftime Victor Wembanyama was playing, um, Anthony Edward, Edwards was playing, so that's good. Both those guys back from injury playing in this game. But you looked at it and you're like, down seven, troubling because the Spurs have been, you know, Spurs have been awful this season. 
Like I said, Wolves have the best record in the NBA, 16-4. and four. Spurs' second worst record, 3-17. and 17. So you looked at it, though. I looked at the score. I looked at the box score. I saw the Wolves were 4 for 20 from three-point range in the first half. I looked at it. saw Edwards was playing. I was like, okay, the Wolves are going to win this game. It's not going to be pretty, but they're, they're, they're close enough. It, it's one of those games where they don't, they're not firing on all cylinders, but they're going to make enough shots in the second half. It's going to be okay. They are going to win this game. Lo and behold, they shoot, I think, 8 of 20 from three-point range in the second half, make enough threes to pull this one out, 102-94. Defense carries the day again. Rudy Gobert was fantastic again. Gobert, 16 points, 20 rebounds, and a plus 31 in this game in 30 minutes. So the 30 minutes he's on the court, Wolves outscored the Spurs by 31 points. The 18 minutes he's off the court, the Spurs outscore the Wolves by 23 points. That is a staggering plus-minus in the game. Chris Finch lauded um, Gobert after the game, lamented kind of what happened to the Wolves defense whenever Gobert wasn't on the court but you know that that's what this is what good teams do this is what really good teams do and we'll get more into the Wolves in a little bit in the listener question section to some bigger picture stuff but in this specific game they've got enough players now especially now with Edwards back from injury I would imagine Jaden McDaniels will be back at some point as well here not too far down the road um, when they are healthy, when you've got, you know, everybody going, you know, I, Towns didn't have his best game. Edwards didn't have his best game. But you've got enough guys who, if you have a collective decent effort, even just for a half against a bad team, you will win these games. You Defense does not take a night off usually. Defense is a little bit more slump-proof than offense. So if you can keep t- teams down, the Spurs only scored 94 points, you can win games like this even when you're not at your best. And that's what they did on uh, – on Wednesday to improve to 16 and 4. 16 and 4, you guys. They were terrible last year against the bad teams. They've been taking care of business against the bad teams, taking care of business usually against the good teams as well. I don't know where this is headed, but they're 20 games in now. 20 games in, 16 and 4. That is quite a pace they're on right now. And like I said, we'll get into some more bigger picture wolf stuff here in a little bit. Gopher Women also won a clean sweep in basketball. On Wednesday night, Gophers beat Kentucky. Kind of a tale of two halves in that game, too. Kentucky, not a good team. This is not like beating, um, you know, a, a Kentucky men's basketball team of vintage era. This is a Kentucky team that's, you know, shorthanded, didn't have a lot of players available for this game. But nonetheless, it is a road victory against a Power 5 team. And the Gophers looking like a team that, again, better than last year, Coach, uh, the head coach, Don Plitzel-White, holding them accountable for their mistakes kind of seems like she's given them a little bit of tough love even in a game where they win um, plenty to coach coach them up on so that was an interesting result as well to see them get the win on the road but still not be happy with it so three wins three basketball wins go for basketball the men's win probably the biggest of the three the uh, wolves win still tells us something about them as does the women's win but Plenty to like from Hoops on Wednesday, plenty to see from Hoops on Wednesday, and uh, we'll get into a little bit more on both those things in a little bit. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. 
So the big question in Minnesota sports this week, even last week, was who is going to start at quarterback for the Vikings when they resume play on Sunday in Las Vegas. Um, we heard rumblings. You know, Early on, my notion was that the Vikings might go, the Kevin O'Connell head coach might go to Nick Mullins. Backup quarterback at the beginning of the season got hurt. Kind of the maybe the only reason they started on this whole odyssey of acquiring Josh Dobbs and certainly having to start Jaron Hall in that uh, in that game against Atlanta after Kirk Cousins was hurt was the fact that um, Mullins you know was injured himself he had the back injury uh, was not available so the fact that he got hurt opened the door for Josh Dobbs Dobbs had two really good games one really good half against the Broncos cooled off they lost in that game then terrible against the Bears. On Monday night last week, Vikings lost those last two, 6-6 six and six at the bye. So you're thinking, okay, is Kevin O'Connell going to go with the more kind of experienced in his system kind of quarterback, a guy who knows the system better than Josh Jobs, has been here for a year and a half, kind of knows where the ball needs to go, can play it safe, things like that. I was thinking that might be the way he's going based on comments he made right after, I think it was Tuesday, right after that Monday night game against the Bears. So instead, he kind of had an evaluation period. He wanted to look at kind of what Dobbs does well, um, what what Nick Mullins does in this offense, things like that. Didn't really look like he evaluated too much of Jaron Hall. We'll get into that in a bit, but he kind of took the bye week to kind of sort out what's the what's the best path going forward. And he came out Wednesday saying, nope, we're staying with Joshua Dobbs. And I think that decision-making process and that decision itself requires us to take a little bit of a closer look at what it was. So I'm going to play a few extended clips from Kevin O'Connell kind of talking about the process and that decision and give my thoughts on it here. So first one is kind of just the bigger picture process of, hey, what did he do? What did that look like? How did it start? How did he communicate with Josh Dobbs that, hey, you know, you have been the starter for three games, played the bulk of the last four games, but now we need to take a look at this and evaluate it and come back to this decision and see if we really want to stick with you going forward. So here's Kevin O'Connell kind of on the process he went through and the decision he ultimately made. It started in those, you know, post-game, you know, day or two after there um, where here's what I'm going to do, Josh. I'm going to study. Uh, you know, what this inventory looks like. I appreciate spending some time with you to get uh, some clarity on exactly where you're at within our offense right now, things that maybe we can do um, to help you incorporate, uh, to make you feel as as comfortable as you possibly can within our offense because there is 10 other guys out there that also have to feel comfortable with what we're doing. Uh, But then articulating, hey, I'm going to go through a process, the same process, uh, that that led us to uh, really feeling strongly about going to get you is is what we're going to go through, um, you know, to really evaluate what's best for our football team. And uh, I believe when you communicate that way, um, you know, regardless of what the result and the answer ended up being, um, it's about looking people in the eye and telling them the truth, and then going through a real process and not, uh, you know, not and being willing to. You know, have a self-reflection about that process as well, and things I can do better. Uh, things our team. It's you know, there's a lot of plays from the last couple games where you look at it, and there's uh, there's there's a lot more minuses on the grade sheet than just the quarterback position on some critical plays, and that's what I've challenged our guys. Let's let's see uh, let's see how many plays we can have a clean sheet on, and and ultimately see what that does for our for our production on offense. But uh, then when I informed him of the of the decision. Um, you know, it was a, 
it was, uh, you know, I, I could see the excitement on his face. Uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable sometimes just showing somebody the belief that you have in them and, and ultimately that you're in, in the fight with them and you're going to do whatever you can uh, to help them. And, and we'll see where, you know, this is not, uh, you know, something where we can predict perfect results or we're expecting perfection. Um, it's about the principles of, of improvement that I think we can see while also understanding we're doing some of the things that we need to do uh, to help the player as well. That's notable to me on a couple of fronts. One, it seems like O'Connell is big on belief, is big on, I need to show confidence in you so you can have confidence to know that you know we believe in you, that, that, that we trust you to do what we are asking you to do. Um, two, feels like the bye week for the Vikings. I mean, any time the bye week is going to come is going to be good, but feels like it couldn't have come at a much better time in this respect. Other respects as well, obviously getting healthier. TJ Hawkinson talked about that on Wednesday, just, you know, the chance to rest up your body, get rid of some of these nagging injuries, things like that. But with the, with this evaluation process, like when you have, when you're in season, there's no time to do something like this, like a thorough scout of kind of a big picture look at your quarterbacks. You're so focused, you're so locked in on that opponent, the install of the game plan, how you're going to beat that specific team that there's just not that time. So to be able to take some time, you know, on the bye week to kind of get that sorted out to feel like, okay, here's what Dobbs does well, here's how we can do better, here's kind of Nick Mullen's strengths, and then come back at it and say, okay, here is our plan, at least for Sunday in Vegas. That's a big deal. That To have that luxury of time at this point in the season when the Vikings could really use it, that was a big deal to me and obviously to the Vikings. Now, second thing I want to highlight from what O'Connell said on uh, on Thursday one of the major kind of keys, one of the themes that he kept returning to was how can Josh Dobbs fit into the system better, but also how can they help Josh Dobbs kind of see what they want him to do while also um, while also kind of playing to his strength. So here is a little bit of O'Connell talking about kind of marrying the on-script stuff with the off-script ability that Dobbs has. It's all about... Uh, what is my footwork? Where am I supposed to be? Trusting your feet and eyes, um, and the progressions, and, and and making good decisions. And 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 when you really study Josh and and other quarterbacks around the league that impact the game, kind of overcoming some conflict and creating off schedule, uh, a lot of times it's tied into the progression, uh, trusting that two hands on the ball, moving within the pocket, and then when you get a chance, either to get up and out of the pocket or or, or escape outside uh, the pocket. Uh, can you maintain your progression? Can you finish forward? And then like he has, to your point, uh, use your legs to steal us some first downs, some touchdowns in the red zone. Um, how are we going to be defended in the pass game with, uh, you know, clearly getting Justin back will be a real positive uh, for us. And what does that look like? Uh, at the quarterback position, it's a, it's a do your job mentality with the proper technique and fundamentals. And we'll have had a little bit more time um, with a little extra time this week. And you know, throughout the, the study of the bye week of really figuring out how we can help him um, and then apply that to when we get on the grass in the preparation. And that, to me, is what they didn't do against the Bears. I, I've, I've been on record on this a couple times. I did not think O'Connell had a good game at all against the Bears. Dobbs certainly didn't, and it shows more when you see the mistakes happening on the field. But I didn't think they put him in positions to succeed in that game. It was kind of telling that the, the more 
The further along Dobbs got in his understanding of the offense and how much they trusted him with some of the stuff that he was supposed to execute, the worse he was playing. That, to me, says they, they didn't quite know how to play to his strengths yet, that they weren't putting him in the position to succeed, and you know some of the players around him weren't succeeding either. So that, to me, was interesting. Final point on this is how they feel about other quarterbacks on this roster, kind of where they are with those guys. I asked Kevin O'Connell if... Um, if Nick Mullen's health, if his back injury still factors into this, and also at the beginning he kind of gave an impromptu kind of state of where of what they think of both Nick Mullins and uh, and Jaron Hall going forward. You know, with with uh, what his season has been like and trying to give him the maximum time to recover from his back injury, he's really ramped up uh, since getting his window open and then eventually activated back to the roster. So uh, I feel good about where Nick's health is at. Um, but, you know, knowing that we've got five critical opportunities to go, um, we feel great about our plan we have for Josh and his ability to go out there and, and move the team, limit the negatives, and, 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 and try to go win some football games. But at the same time, whether it's Nick or Jaron, um, you know, I feel like we've got three quarterbacks we can win football games with. And what that looks like moving forward, uh, the starting point is always the confidence in the room and the players, and we have that. And uh, that's what we feel good about. Uh, we'll, we'll prepare Nick uh, like we always do. Uh, he's one of the most professional uh, guys I've been around, always ready to roll. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, our entire team knows that they can count on Nick uh, when called upon. And then Jaron Hall's continued uh, development is of the utmost importance to me personally um, and our organization. And we, and we really like where Jaron's at, getting healthy, uh, coming off of, uh, you know, getting out of the protocol and, and being available. So all of, the, all of this kind of tells you what they think the packing order is right now, right? They think Dobbs gives them the best chance to win, at least on Sunday, that he is you know, still the highest ceiling in terms of winning a game right now, even if he's not necessarily the safest choice. Mullins is a capable backup, but not one they felt strongly enough that they had to get in there. And maybe they're still a little bit concerned about not necessarily the physical part holding up, but the fact that he's missed so much time with this injury, he's maybe a little bit rusty, things like that. And maybe a little bit of wondering if, if he gets through a whole game with the way his back has been this season. Jaron Hall remains important, O'Connell said, from a developmental standpoint. I don't know what they think his ceiling is ultimately, but I think they would love at some point for him to be you know, a, a high caliber or at least a decent caliber backup. And maybe the ceiling's higher. I don't know. But they, they still have plans for him. But they don't certainly have plans for him to be in a game anytime soon unless, again, there are even more injuries this season. So a good lay of the land of where the Vikings stand with the quarterbacks right now, thanks to Kevin O'Connell clarifying everything for us on Wednesday. Let's get to a bunch of listener questions here. We'll call this the cooler, but it's going to be an extended cooler. A lot, a lot of questions, a lot of Wolves questions, some gopher football questions, a Twins question. Let us roll through those right now, starting with Mark says, not a question per se, but noting that you've referenced the, quote, Wolves would have lost this game last year theme, and it does suggest we should be tracking 2022-23 win percentage versus bottom third or fourth of the league versus this year. Not as big of a sample, obviously, but has to be a huge leap. Indeed, it is. I had Tim Connolly, Timberwolves president, on Wednesday's podcast. A lot of you probably heard that. He even referenced, I didn't even ask him about it, he referenced how they were 6-10 and 10 against the five, the five worst teams in the league last year. He said, flip that around. 
They're a home court playoff team. So that that was the frustrating one of the most frustrating parts of last year was how they would have these lapses against bad teams. Now, they've had some like in-game minutes long lapses against bad teams this year, but they haven't had those entire game kind of collapses this year so far. I just tracked it right now just to kind of see where they're at against the seven worst teams in the league. The seven teams in the league right now that have the worst records in the NBA, all of these teams um, losing at least twice as many games as they're winning. So all of them have winning percentages of 333 or worse. These are the Spurs, Blazers, Grizzlies, Jazz, Pistons, Wizards, and Hornets. Wolves are seven. I'm sorry, six and zero against those teams so far this season. Six and zero against those teams this season, including, like we said, beating the Spurs on Wednesday. And it hasn't always been pretty. They've had to pull out some games. They, you know, had to pull out the game against the Hornets. They got tested by the Spurs, but winning those games, even if it's not pretty. Um, you remember that at the end of the year because then you look at it, you don't say, okay, hey, man, they really gave those ones away. They should have won this. They should have won that, this, that, the other thing. They don't have that so far this season. So that is indeed a big piece of what they've been doing so far. Michael wants to know, would like to hear a balanced conversation debate on who the MVP is at the quarter point of the season, Gobert, Cat, Ant, or Conley. I don't know if he was suggesting these are NBA MVP contenders or just Wolves MVP. Um, if it's NBA, I love it. That's, that's great. <clears throat> um, with the Wolves, that's an interesting question because I said, like I said, I'm referencing this again, but I said to Tim Conley on, uh, Conley on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday show that I thought Mike Conley Jr. could be considered their MVP this year. I know his numbers aren't the greatest so far this season, but he has been the glue that has held this team together. If I'm going team MVP, I might say Mike Conley Jr. just because his availability, the way he has kind of kept this team together, the way he helps their late-game offense, he has been everything as advertised and more. If we're just talking about flat-out MVP candidates from this team, that's a tough one. Ant was playing really well for a lot of the time before he got hurt. Cat has had his moments. I might go Gobert, though, because if you're talking about the defensive identity of this team, which is their strength, if you're talking about a guy who's been there the whole year as opposed to, unfortunately, Jaden McDaniels, who they've had to miss two different stretches this year at the beginning of the year and now right now with the ankle injury, he's been out. Gobert has been excellent he's been there by far their best defensive player and the most available defensive player i might put him if we're talking about nba mvp if you're talking about a symbol on this team of who is playing the best and most consistently and has been available i would say gobert although if we get to the end of the season and the wolves are you know in the top three mix in the west and and has been healthy for most of the year and has played well he will be the kind of the representative he will be the face that gets i think some of the votes i think it wouldn't be gobert by the end of the year but right now I might put Rudy Gobert at the top of that list, and that is saying a lot from where they were last year. Good question here from Max. Says, I would love to hear your opinion as someone in the media and perhaps a little separated from enthusiastic fan base optimism. Are the Wolves real title contenders? Media outlets are starting to treat them that way, but I have a hard time moving my expectations past, quote, win a series. That's, that's a great question because I think – we're still waiting to find out what this team is. Um, you know, when a team is so inexperienced, when they haven't 
kind of taken those steps along the way. They haven't even won a playoff series in 20 years, and that was the only time in their history they even advanced in the playoffs. They look really good right now. They have a lot of the pieces in place, I think, that would help them win a playoff series or two and go deep into the playoffs. Are they a title contender right now? I got to see more still. I, I think they're a really good team. I like what they've built so far. I think you can set your minimum expectations this year with win a playoff series. I think that's a, that's a that's a good goal for them. That's a minimum baseline goal for them right now. Get into the top four of the West in the regular season. Get in the top four of the West in the postseason by winning a first round series, and then from there, um, you know, then it's, then it sometimes comes down to luck, who's who's playing best, things like that. I think at that point it's a little bit more of a crapshoot, but they would be building on something at that point if they did that. That to me is the point they at least need to get to. I don't think we know yet if they're real title contenders because there's teams out there that have been there, that have been through the battles, that have guys that have done that and maybe have more star power when everybody is healthy. But the Wolves are putting themselves in a great spot right now. That much I do know. Jeffrey says, you got your wish with Dobbs starting this Sunday. So when are the Wolves moving Cat, which you also lobbied hard for? I did lobby hard for that this offseason. That question got a lot more interesting when the Wolves started 16-4. Um, again, I'm referencing this again, but he, he had a lot of good things to say on that Wednesday show. Tim Connolly, I asked him you know, kind of about future stuff like, hey, you got a lot of success going this year, but there's going to be some hard questions with salary at the end of the year. Um, where does it all go from here? How do you balance kind of future needs with present success? He, you know, he basically said, you need to, you can't lose sight of the importance of a season. This is a big year for them that the, that the decisions get easier as they win more, that the ownership has said, Hey, if this looks like a team that is going to be a contender, that they're, they're comfortable. They know what the, what the financial situation might be. Keeping Cat, keeping Ant, keeping Gobert, keeping McDaniels, keeping, you know, a, a higher price point guard, whether that's Conley or someone else next year, because Conley is getting older and his contract will expire. Um, expensive bench players, things like that. Like that becomes a conversation worth having if this is a team that shows it is worth having those conversations. Now, if they start to falter this season, if they, you know, go into the playoffs in good shape but get upset, or if they just look at this and say, ah, something's not quite right, I still do think Cat would be the most logical trade chip in all of this because you've kind of you've got some kind of you got some other things built around him that feel like they could be stable still without him but he's playing at a high level right now i think we've tabled that discussion for a long time let's see how the rest of the 60 plus games play out see what where he fits into you know a potential team that could make a deep playoff run and go from there all right, that's enough Wolves questions. Let's get a couple twin. Let's get a Twins question and a couple Gophers questions before we get out of here. Greg says, "Michael, love the podcast. That's always a good way to start a question because I'm guaranteed to a answer your question." Twins question: Realistically, what can the Twins get for Jorge Polanco? Starting pitcher seems like a lot. Will they have to bundle something with Polanco? Is Kepler more valuable in a trade? That's a lot of questions in one, but they kind of get to the heart of what the Twins are up to this off season. You've read. Bobby Nightingale down at the GM meetings, the winter meetings down in um, Nashville. And really does seem like the Twins are interested in finding trade partners for some of these veteran players. Some of these higher priced players, you know, Polanco and Kepler both making about $10, $11 million in 2024. Both good players for them. Over the years, certainly a lot of value. Uh, Kepler had a lot of value for the Twins in 2023, especially with his last four or five months of the season. Polanco's been a great player when healthy. He's been a little bit more dinged up in the last couple years. 
I think Polanco still has more trade value just because he the way he hits at a middle infield position and the fact that his contract has a team option for 2025. So if you trade for him, he has a good healthy year in 24. You've got him under contract still in 2025. Kepler does not have that. Kepler will be a free agent after 2024. You know, and Kepler is a corner outfielder. There's a lot of corner outfielders. He's a good, very good defensive player, but he's a corner outfielder who produces kind of like a corner outfielder. I think he's got some trade value, but I think Polanco, if he can show he's healthy, can be someone's everyday second baseman for two years, and that's, that would provide a decent amount of value. I don't think you're going to get a high-caliber starting pitcher for Jorge Polanco. What you might get is a couple prospects and the salary space to then go out and get a starting pitcher in free agency. I think that might be the route they have to take. So, hey, we need to clear some salary. Let's replenish the farm system. Let's replenish some of these prospects with a Jorge Polanco trade and then go get a starting pitcher in free agency. That would be the route I would imagine they'd take. If they can trade both of those guys, then maybe they can go get an even better pitcher and see where they go in the rotation from there. Luke wants to know, with Eric Musselman's Arkansas buyout down to $2 million, could the Gophers afford him, and would Musselman take the job? All hang up and listen. Um, you know, these, this makes a lot of assumptions. One, that the Gophers would be in the market for a new coach. Coming off a good win Wednesday, we're going to anyways, let's see how the season plays out before we worry about a coaching change. I also think Musselman, man, he's, he's had a lot of success at Arkansas. Two Elite Eights and a Sweet 16. He makes... More than two times as much as Ben Johnson. At least that, those were the initial contracts they signed. Uh, Musselman got an extension in 2021 that paid him like over $4 million a year. Johnson's contract when he signed it in 2021 was, I believe, for just a little bit less than $2 million. So you're talking about a buyout. You're talking about a coach who's twice as expensive. And, you know, is this really a, is this a program that's a step up at this point, right? Right? Like, Arkansas has had a ton of success under Musselman. I think his, if he takes another job, even if he loves Minnesota, I don't know if Minnesota is his next job. So sorry, Luke. I just don't see those pieces fitting into place. That would be quite a coup for Mark Coyle if he was able to pull that off, if they were able to bring a coach like Eric Musselman here. But again, let's give Ben Johnson a chance. Like, I've, I'm down on him. I've been down on him those first two years, but, they showed something against Nebraska. They've got, you know, they've got some more pieces this year. Let's let's not run him out of town before we see what he has in store for this season. If they can build something this year, if they can get more into the middle of the Big Ten, then you can feel like, okay, this deserves a chance to get off the ground instead of just saying, hey, we got to scrap this after year three and go get that next guy. So let's 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 be a little bit more patient and also realize that, hey. I don't know if this is a job where a guy who's got been to you know two elite eights in the Sweet 16 is going to jump here just because he has those Minnesota connections. Finally, I've got a ton of emails lately on Gopher football. Um, one reader, actually two readers, lobbying for Max Schickenjanski, the, the Stillwater walk-on quarterback to get a fair shake in the quarterback competition. Um, got an email from John suggesting that Ethan Calic-Manis has struggled because he throws sidearm, kind of a three-quarters delivery, that that, that pre- produces a ball that is hard to catch, and that's why the receivers are dropping the ball so much. I think there's something to that. I think that's interesting because accuracy, if you don't have a consistent release point, your accuracy is going to be a problem, and accuracy has been a problem for Calic-Manis. But I think what, what, what all of this tells me, what all of the numbers I've seen tells me in terms of readership, listenership, things like that, is people... People are still passionate about gopher football. 
I don't know what the answer is at quarterback. Maybe Max Brosmer, the guy they're bringing in, maybe he is the answer, at least for 2024. Maybe the portal will be the answer for a lot of these seasons going forward. But what all of this tells me is that people still have a lot of passion for Gopher football, that people are interested in it, that they want this team to succeed, even if it hasn't been a great season right now that the 2024 is important in that regard. You don't want you don't want fans to get apathetic. You want them to get this quarterback situation right. You want to get back into the winning side of things. Win 7-8 games next year. Turn this around. Feel like even against a good schedule next year that you are competitive in the Big 10. That's what people want. People want to see this thing succeed. People are passionate about it and uh, they're offering all sorts of solutions and answers and that tells you that they are still invested in this Gopher football team and P.J. Fleck, even after a disappointing 2023 season. I've talked enough today, went deep on questions, other things like that. I will have a guest tomorrow, Bobby Nightingale Jr. from the Star Tribune, will join me to talk hot stove, twin stuff, some of these things I just talked about, Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco, free agency, other trades that might be in the works, things like that. Bobby will join me. So look forward to that on Friday. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Thursday. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.